0: This episode of The Minimalist Podcast is brought to you by nobody because advertisements do suck. Thank you. My name is Joshua Fields Milvern and I'm Ryan Nicodemus and together we are The
1: Minimalists live in New York City.
0: They came out tonight. This has been sold out for months, and I know some of you didn't show up because of, you know, what's going on right now, but I'm grateful for those of you who did, and you really, really showed up tonight, and i tell you, you, we've got a really special night. I I guess we, the first thing to do is we're going to bring our first guest onto the stage, and then um, we'll talk a little bit for just a moment, and then we'll we'll welcome our second guest as well. Special night, New York. Our first guest, you know him from Netflix. You know him from the Minimalist Podcast. You know him from his hit show, Revolution of One. Some people call him the third minimalist. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, TK Coleman. Yeah.
2: What's up, New York? I'm from Chicago, but I love New York. I remember those New York Knicks, Chicago Bulls rivalries back in the day. I grew up in the Michael Jordan heyday. So I, I just grew hair. Like when I was a kid, I was bald. I, I went bald like fifth grade because I wanted to look like MJ. And it uh, wasn't until much later on, after Jordan retired, I grew hair out, but what's up, New York? Thanks for the memories.
0: TK, we have uh, someone who's special to all three of us here tonight. He's Actually, if it weren't for him, none of us would be here tonight. Twelve years ago this year, Ryan started a little website called theminimalists.com. And it was, uh, it was the beginning of all of this, before the podcast, before Netflix, before we were really active on social media. we um, Actually, Ryan did this thing called a packing party. And he's like, hey, we should share this with some people. And he's like, Josh, you've always written. Do you want to uh, like try to write some nonfiction? Because I wrote fiction throughout my 20s. And I said, sure, we'll give it a, a, a shot. And so we we figured out how to cobble together a really simple blog. The reason it still looks so simple today is because what's well, I could barely spell HTML, let alone like make a whole website. And uh, we started it, but we were really inspired... Specifically, by the person we're about to welcome on to the stage. He's, uh, I think he has 19 best selling books. He has um, over 7,000 blog posts. And he writes, uh, he still publishes a blog post essentially every day. Publishes is the key word. Yes. A lot of people write every
2: day. Mm -hmm. He publishes every day. Yes.
0: And uh, I mean, and it's not just that he's publishing to publish, we're talking gold. I mean, nuggets every single day. Um, it's daunting to think about. And um, Ryan and I are always talking about, hey, did you see this thing that he wrote? Oh, man, hey, Ryan, you check this out. Forwarding them back and forth. And um, TK, you met him because he runs something called the Alt-MBA that you, that you went through. And so he has a podcast called Akimbo. And strangely, TK is on every episode of this podcast. <laughs> because you have a testimonial essentially can you talk briefly about what alt mba is
2: yeah man so it's alt like a l t like alternative mba like a traditional mba and anyone who's followed seth knows that he talks a lot about how education is is something that there isn't just one path there's more than one way to educate a human being and we have to learn how to think about education in a way that doesn't exclude school but in a way that transcends school because education happens everywhere. Wherever there are human beings willing to learn, willing to grow, there is education. And so All mba was a program that he uh, started to kind of capture that idea. There are so many people in their careers or so many aspiring young professionals who don't wanna take the conventional approach, but they feel like there's nothing out there for them. And the All mba is that. And it's just a great community experience where there's a project-based approach to learning things, for people that just want to level up in their life and their careers, and so I went through the program, and then um, I, I started coaching in the program, and there was this big event in New York for all the all NBA coaches, and I had a chance to meet Seth, and and he's like the, how do I put it? He's he's like the uh, the Michael Jordan to my Kobe. I put it like that, right? Like when, when, like Kobe tried to imitate Jordan. That's who he wanted to be. You know what I mean? And like when you get to meet him, it was such a big deal. So. I see Seth Godin from a distance and I'm just kind of standing there with the other coaches. And there's a moment where he looks at me. He doesn't know who I am really, but he looks at me. We make eye contact. I'm like, oh man, this is about to happen, right? And he starts to walk towards me. It's slow motion. I'm like, oh my gosh, Seth is looking at me. and He's walking towards me. And then he walks towards me and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, hey, can you just step back a couple of feet? You're kind of in the way.
0: (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, our new friend, Seth Godin.
3: Thanks a lot. Thank you. I I am profoundly uncomfortable being here, uh, but I feel more comfortable now that you told that story. Which is probably not true, but it made me sufficiently
0: comfortable to thank you. He emailed us two days ago. He goes, are you sure you want to do this? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so we're gonna, we're really here for you tonight. And so we have a microphone set up somewhere. I would encourage someone to break the seal and walk up to the microphone wherever it is. How about Noah? My my ankle's broken. Okay. Um, And uh, what what we're going to do is we're going to answer questions throughout the night. Um, Here's what tends to happen. You can ask questions about minimalism and stuff, but there's always a question behind those questions as well. Because our stuff, our consumerism, tends to be a symptom of what's going on in our lives, a symptom of some deeper discontent. Because we have Seth and TK here tonight, also love to hear some questions about education, about the school system, schooling in general. If you have questions about business or marketing, well, you've got the right people here for that tonight as well, or just any other miscellaneous questions. Also, I've listened to so many podcasts with Seth on them, and, and
2: people ask him all the time about marketing, blogging, business, but one of the best kept secrets about him is there are very few people on this earth who can drop profound nuggets of wisdom on things like fear, uncertainty, mm-hmm. vulnerability. So if you've got questions about those things, I encourage you to let the world see exactly what Seth can do with stuff like that.
3: I just carry his bags.
0: <laughs> Howdy.
4: Howdy. Howdy. What's your name? Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm from uh, the Hudson Valley, so we had to drive a bit of a long way to get here, but it was totally worth it, because my mom's awesome. Oh. Um <laughs> I, I know, Thanks, Mom.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, hey, Matthew, what's on your mind?
4: Well, okay, um, listen. I was thinking of a lot of jokes to open up with, but I've been sitting there freezing, just so I can say that I'm wearing the minimalist's uniform tonight. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you got the memo. <laughs> Oh, that's Because awesome. I own like
4: eight black t-shirts and I've just sort of done that whole uh, thing And I know you guys probably don't remember this but um, on September 7th you texted me happy birthday uh,
1: <laughs> Oh you're that Matthew
4: I am that Matthew, ah. yes <laughs> um, Alright, so Okay, deep breaths Alright, now I'm, I have two questions for you, the one, first one is very short I know we can't do hug lines because of Miss Rona, but are you still doing A-line at all after this or no?
0: Unfortunately, we're not at the end of these events, but um, make sure you keep your tickets stubbed because they're free and transfer. While while you a hug next time we're here?
4: Oh, yeah, because I brought my book and like got a Sharpie and everything, so like I'll, be I'll coming sign that for you, for
0: you. next Yeah, will sign it for you. Yeah.
1: No worries.
4: Oh my god you guys are awesome i'm like i've been following you guys for the last few years i've been binging your podcast so i'm on like episode 122 now i made my you're listening
0: in the wrong order i would start with now and go backwards
4: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i just showed my mom your documentary before we got here so um my question for you tonight i'm such a fanboy i swear um (laughs) thank you (laughs) so um as I told you, I'm wearing the minimalist uniform. I, like, decluttered my wardrobe. I wear, like, almost exclusively black t-shirts and the occasional button-up over that. Um, some of the people very close to me, who I love very much, not saying any names, Mom. Um, <laughs> who loves me very much, uh, like my parents and things, they don't necessarily understand why I sort of like the simple wardrobe and want to sort of help me expand my wardrobe. but. Um, That's just not something that I'm super into that adds value to my life because I'm totally chill with the black t-shirt life. Uh, It's really just helped me in my mental health. I'm a transgender man, so it helps with my dysphoria. (laughs) Um, So I was wondering how to go about that stuff when you're 17 and uh, you're sort of starting this new lifestyle and your parents, albeit super awesome ones who you love very much, Uh, might not totally understand the direction you're trying to go or not know how to best support you.
0: Wow, what a beautiful question. Um, What kind of psycho wears all black all the time? (laughs) I agree with you, Ma. Why would you let...
4: An emo psycho, thank you very
0: much. (laughs) Uh, Ryan, why do you wear black all
1: the time? I wear black because it's slimming, honestly. (laughs) Oh, man, I, uh, I, I love not having to decide what to wear when I go to put something on. I, too, have, like, a black button-up, because sometimes, like, you can't go to places without, like, having a collared shirt on or something. But you know what's awesome about you, Matthew, is that the, the color of your personality is, like, brighter than any color you could wear on the outside.
4: Oh, shucks, homie. <laughs> oh,
0: Matthew, bring that book up. We'll, uh, we'll make sure we sign it. Yeah, for sure. I owe
1: you a hug. And, and I'll tell you what your, what your mom is doing. Like, that's the best she can do. I mean, bringing you out here to come and see us, I mean, that's, even though she doesn't understand it, that's incredible. That's She's incredible. She's a very
4: amazing mother.
0: M- yeah, Matthew, you're she awesome. She understands Matthew's it now. Matthew's mom, you're awesome. <laughs> she understands it right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for yeah. being here.
4: Thank you very much.
0: <laughs> Josh, can I say something for yeah. you? Go for it.
2: Matthew, one thing I just wanna to say to you is that, cause it's not over here, right? We just had a beautiful moment, but five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, for the rest of your life, you're going to be challenged by people who don't approve of you, by people who don't agree with you. And the first thing I wanna to say to you is that you don't need to disrespect people in order to disagree with them, right? When you are non-defensive, you are disarming. When someone says, hey, I don't like what you do. I don't see it the way you do. I, I disagree with you. you know one reaction is to say well you just don't understand and i hate you but that posture is only gonna make you feel more angst and it's not gonna bring you closer to the other person you can respond to people in a way that's disarming by saying i hear you i hear you and you can leave it at that right not always defending your point of view isn't the same thing as affirming the opposite and sometimes we confuse boundary lines with battle lines but you can establish boundaries between yourself and other people without engaging them in battle. Yeah.
1: yeah. Look, go ahead. He's what I wanna be when I grow up. Oh. She said that he's what she wants to be when she grows up. That's beautiful. amazing. That's beautiful.
5: Howdy. Oh man. What's your name?
6: Hi, Fabiana, how are
5: you?
0: Outstanding. What's on your mind?
6: I've been waiting for two years for this, because it's been a long time, and I'm a little starstruck, so don't get me wrong. (laughs) Me
0: too. Me too. (laughs) Um,
6: uh, So I thought about asking about your hairs, um, and and it will make sense, because you guys have been together for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Not just 10 years, but a long time. And as I'm about to embark in a new relationship, I'm wondering how can you respect his room with his messy hair, Mm -hmm. and how can one respect the other's room with a very put together hair, and how can you guys coexist in your differences? Wait, which one's who? Question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's. I mean, I don't. It's all superficial. I mean, and so. I'm mostly jealous of Seth because I used to shave my head, and I saw myself in a mirror once, and I just don't—I look like an alien. And um, so, if if I could, I would I would do the uh, the Seth Godin method, and uh, then we wouldn't even have to be talking about this, or maybe we would be talking about it.
3: I think when we're talking about hair, we're not really talking about hair, are we? No, we are. not. No. Uh, yeah, we are talking about. Where's where's the fear? Where is the respect, who are you trying to change, how are you trying to be seen. These are things that became capitalized and industrialized in an industry that's worth billions of dollars because if you spent money for a thing you could change the signal that you're sending to other people or not. And when we look for the story behind that, which is the answer to almost every single question that the minimalists get, we get to the point of the matter, which is who's it for and what's it for this thing we're doing, this thing that person's saying to us, that maybe you feel disrespected when someone who cares about you doesn't care the way you care about something. Has nothing to do with hair. It's just a conversation that hasn't happened yet. And TK's got it right, which is people need to be seen, and they need the dignity of having space to be seen. And expressing it through something that's made by L'Oreal doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. (laughs)
1: Amen. Don't give away my hair secrets. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm going to steal this from Josh, but to love someone is uh, to see them for who they are and to support them, you know, 100%. And I'm totally paraphrasing what he says, but I love Josh. I've known him since we were fat little fifth graders. We've been through a lot together. I had a mullet then, by the way. <laughs> if you go to his Instagram, I'm pretty sure there's a picture of it up on your Instagram.
0: There's one in the book, which is available downstairs <laughs> for 50% off.
1: Um, no. So, you know, I go way out of my way to support Josh because, um, man, uh, I appreciate how much he supports me. And I think with any good relationship, it's the same thing with my wife and I. It's like we go out, we look for reasons to support each other. Like, I look for reasons to um, almost uh, kind of give in in certain ways. Like, like, how can I, you know, sacrifice a little something for you? Like, what can I do to make you happy? Because I see how much she gives to me. I see how much Josh gives to me. And I think that is what makes any great relationship. It's not about... Uh, it's not about um, having to change someone. It's about accepting them for who they are and, and them,
0: giving them your all. Howdy. What's your name?
7: Hi, my name's Lenny.
0: Hey, Lenny. Hi. What's on your mind?
7: So on New Year, the evening of New Year's Eve, I moved out of my house for the first time ever. I'm 22 years old and I just moved in to an apartment with my long time, four and a half years boyfriend, Peter, who's here with me tonight.
1: Hey Peter. Hey Peter. love you. Did she drag you out here? She did? <laughs> Welcome. Well, th- thanks for being dragged out. That's one sign of a great relationship. He is supporting you and has no idea why he's here, but yeah, that's awesome.
7: He's, he's, he's absolutely wonderful. And um, I, um, so I've never lived outside my house before And I come from a very old school European traditional family where they have not always been supportive of my decisions. And I've kind of felt stifled, like my personality and my identity for many years, just being kind of like under their general influence. And now that I'm not anymore, I feel like which direction do I move in? Mm. And there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of uncertainty. And so my question would be, Where does minimalism play a role in really creating this identity for myself now that I have the space to? Thank
0: you. Seth, when we talk about minimalism, we're often talking about, you know, it starts with the stuff, but we're really talking about clutter. What is clutter? Clutter are things that get in in the way. So there's so much other clutter outside of the physical stuff there's mental clutter, emotional clutter, spiritual clutter, calendar clutter, career clutter familial clutter, right? And, and so the fear that we see here, it manifests in different ways. Sometimes it manifests by, oh, I'm gonna buy a bunch of things to try to pacify myself. Or I'm going to become this type of person because then people will like me. Can we talk a bit about this?
3: I think that clutter exists to minimize freedom. Mm. And the reason that freedom is scary is because it comes with responsibility. And a lot of people don't want responsibility. And so, you can see it all around you, why does everyone use a certain kind of social media the same way, right? Because if you use it a different way, it's on you. If you use it the same way, why does everyone dress? Over and over and over again, we're creating levels of clutter, emotional or physical, so that we don't have freedom, and we don't have freedom, so we don't have responsibility, so careful what you wish for, because you got it. But now, if you're not happy, it's not your parents' fault anymore because you're going to decide. And how do we decode the responsibility problem? And it seems to me that the easiest way forward is to pair it with generosity and to say, I don't want to be responsible for my own happiness. That's too hard. But I would like to take responsibility for seeing other people in a generous way, for showing up in a situation with generosity, I'll be responsible for that. And if you can get hooked on that, you can find a different sort of freedom and happiness that has nothing to do with a transaction. It is not up to the other person. It's simply, I see this, it is raining, now what will I do? Not, it is raining, isn't that unfair? And taking that responsibility, notice the word taking, it's not given to you, you get to take it, and now you've taken it, which is great. So you got it. What are you gonna do with it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, howdy. Congratulations, by the way.
3: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You we invite, got invite these guys to the wedding.
0: <laughs> Let us know. That's right. Oh man. We got Noah here. Yeah. Howdy. What's up?
8: <laughs> yeah. So I actually want to talk about college a little bit. Um, Let's so... do it. It's really interesting. Noah drove
0: out here from uh, Lancaster, PA.
8: Yep, yep, yep.
0: But, uh, and he's at a pivotal point in his life. We, we were talking yes, earlier yes. today. Um, and uh, you're a senior in high school, right?
8: Yes, I'm a senior in high school. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just got all my, like, January 1st deadline is all, like, the college deadlines, college applications, and stuff like that. You know, it's super stressful, right? And there's a lot of stuff you got to do That packed on top of, like, all the school work, you know, AP classes, all that kind of stuff. And it's honestly, it sort of made me feel like, you know, almost like what's the purpose of all this and like do I really enjoy any of what I'm doing, right? So my sort of worry is is like when I go to college, is it going to be the same exact thing just for another four years? And will I be wasting four of my prime years of life where I could be working really hard and I'm doing what I am really passionate about, which? obviously it's hard to figure out in the first place, like, like will I be wasting that time? Um, and I guess like, you know, a big thing for me is like how, how will I, like what are alternate options and like how do I really figure out what my, what my real like passion or purpose really is because I feel like even, even that's a complicated thing. So I'm not sure if any of you would have any ideas on that, but, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, Okay, so
2: there are a few things built into that question. So one with the passion part, uh, don't treat your passion as if it's an intellectual puzzle to solve or as if it's a riddle that you're going to figure out by sitting down very carefully and thinking about things in a linear way. Passion is something that you discover by engaging the world in an experimental manner. You have to take risk. You have to live life. You have to try things. How do you know what tastes good? How do you know what tastes bad? How do you know the difference between hot and cold? It's a visceral response to a lived experience, right? So you gotta try things. So when you make decisions, don't ask yourself, is this the right decision? Is this the one correct thing I can do? Is this going to work? Instead ask, does this experience offer me the opportunity to discover interesting things about what I love, what I hate, and about what I feel a little bit in between on, because that knowledge is important. Think of it in a way that's analogous to dating. You go on a first date, you do not think to yourself, am I gonna marry this person? Instead, you approach with curiosity. You say, hey, what are you interested in? Let's get to know each other. This might be such a bad experience that we never wanna do it again. Or it might be good and we say, hey, would you like to do this a second time? And then you come back a second time, and then a third time, and maybe a fourth time, and then maybe that's it, and you keep doing that, and after a while, you wake up one day and you find that your heart is captured by a specific person. That's what it's like to discover your passion, okay? Second thing I want to say about passion, then I'm handing it over to Seth, is don't look at it like, how can I find the one thing that I was born to do? We're not one-dimensional people. We're multifaceted. We have many different passions. You know, You're going to be passionate about some things that make money, passionate about other things that don't make money, but whatever you do in life, you're going to do it best if you bring your full self to it. So don't like, try to exclude passions or try to find the one thing that you want to do. Just ask yourself, with whatever it is I do, how can I bring such a spirit of enthusiasm and self-authenticity to it that the greatness is found in my work and not in my title, in the way that I do it and not in the label that is used to describe what I do?
3: Beautiful. So, I'll give you a a short rant. Famous colleges, five things they do, not one. Five things for a quarter of a million dollars in debt. One thing you get is a fairly well recognized piece of paper that shows that you complied well for four years. Another thing that you get is a cohort of people who were all selected in a way similar to the way you were selected. Don't minimize that cohort, it has value. The third thing you get is access to courses. Wait, they're all available for free online, every single one of them. Another thing you get is a socially acceptable way to spend four years growing up in a place that's reasonably safe. And the last thing you get, I forgot. So those are the, those are the five things <laughs> nice. you get. And the question is, can you simulate the benefits of those that match what you want to do at your age in a way that's worthwhile? And the answer is you can if you decide it's worth the effort. Because the learning of skills part isn't what you get from a famous college. What you get from a famous college is the social thing that comes from the scarcity of the piece of paper they're offering you. If you reject that part, well, the amount that you can learn, the number of things you can do, the number of movies you can produce in four years for $200,000 is pretty big. And if at the end of that you decide you don't want to make movies? That's fine, but something will have happened during that period of time. So whether you go or not shouldn't be based on whether it was a sunny day when you went on a campus tour, shouldn't be based on whether the people on campus you saw are cute or not, it should be based on an analysis of the most expensive thing you will ever buy in your whole life that cannot be resold, is that what you wanna buy? And they shouldn't ask 17 year olds to make that decision, but they do.
8: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Noah. Howdy. What's your name?
9: Hi. So, I'm Liz. Hey, Liz. What's Um, on your mind? Well, uh, I'm really so... I feel so thankful and grateful to be here. Uh, I actually reviewed two of your uh, books for Audiophile Magazine, the the audiobook version of them. which I think is one of the greatest forms of minimalism ever. Hmm. So I actually don't have a book for you guys to sign, but I do have a piece of paper that would be nice if I could get signed, because you, two have really become kind of my personal heroes.
0: Happily. We'll sign your audiobook.
9: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I uh, discovered you all when I was living in Hong Kong. I had just moved to Hong Kong in 2017 from Tennessee, for my husband's job. And I had to give up roughly half of my material possessions in order to do that.
0: Well, was, as we get a little bit closer, yeah. I can barely hear you. Sorry. That's perfect.
9: Um, and I was just saying that when I discovered uh, when you guys, I was uh, I just moved to Hong Kong, it was in 2017, from Tennessee. And I'd had to give up roughly half of my worldly possessions. We had been renting a house that was 2,000 square feet going to an apartment in Hong Kong that was roughly 700 square feet and uh, pretty much just bringing whatever we could carry on the plane. So uh, it was funny because I was um, actually assigned your book to review and I sort of took it as, uh, I don't know, a sign from heaven or something. (laughs) It It was really just exactly what I needed to hear at that point in time. And uh, I think that you guys have really carried me through a lot and I recently moved back from Hong Kong just a few weeks ago uh, because the political situation there has just gotten to the point where uh, I wasn't able to go back and see my family for the last two years. So we kind of just up and left and um, we're currently living with uh, my father-in-law in New Orleans, and uh, it was funny because when I told him I was coming up to New York to see the Minimalists, he thought you all were a band. <laughs> uh, and
0: he the said, "The New York Times did call Ryan uh, an aging rock guitarist,
9: <laughs> a gracefully
1: aging rock guitarist.
3: Oh. <laughs> gracefully is the best part, right? Exactly.
9: And but I explained to him, no, um, they're they're." Uh, Guys that uh, uh, do a podcast and they talk about uh, living life with less, he said, Well, why y'all want to go listen to that? And I said, Well, you know, I, I think it's good to live with less. So that brings me to my question, which is I think that given that we're not real sure where we're going to end up um, over the next six months or so with my husband looking for work um, and me doing freelancing, um, we're in this back in this situation living in my father-in-law's home which is just packed with possessions and he sees sort of nothing wrong with this and so I'm just wondering how how I can sort of maintain this sense of minimalism in a situation that I'm not really totally in control of at this point without supremely pissing anybody off.
0: What's your first name again?
9: It's Liz, Liz, L-I-Z.
0: So, I have some news for you. First off, there is nothing wrong with this stuff, like in morally wrong or, or anything like that. Now, if the stuff's getting in the way, then it can be a problem, but if his stuff's getting in your way, it's not his problem, right? And it's really easy for us, you know, I always joke, that, like, oh, I'm getting rid of my daughter's stuff when she's not looking, right? But I, I wouldn't actually do that. One of the things that that people do, they'll come up to the mic and say, hey, can you convince me? I know you're not saying this, but can, can you help me convince my husband to get rid of his stuff? Can you help my wife? Can you convince her to get rid of her stuff? And no, I'm not in the convincing business. Um, what becomes a problem is when... We assign our own desires, our own preferences to someone else. And you're in a temporary living situation right now in which you have to simply tolerate what's going on with with your father. Now, if he's come to you and asked for help and said, hey, I'd really like help minimizing, well, that opens up the door and you can talk to him about this stuff. I think it was Dale Carnegie who said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. So you could go shake him and tell him he needs to get rid of his stuff. You could get rid of it for him. Don't do that, that's theft. (laughs) And it's just going to make the situation worse. There's an alternative option. Ryan earlier said what love is. Most of us don't actually understand love. We say, oh, I I love my wife, but I love burritos. (laughs) And it's like, well, is that the same thing? No. To love someone is to see them for who they are without trying to change them. Now, you can inspire them to change. Ryan came to me and asked about minimalism. I never jumped up and said, look at me, I'm a minimalist. And Ryan, you need to get rid of your shit. That would have never worked. But he came to me one day and he said, why the hell are you so happy? So I opened the door. I said, oh, I've been letting go of all this excess stuff that was just in the way. And it was really covering up my happiness that was already there. If he opens the door, wonderful. In the meantime, if you really want to understand someone, the first step to understand them is to tolerate them beyond. In fact, in in the book, we have this acronym, TARA, T-A-R-A. It goes from tolerance to acceptance, accept them for who they are without trying to change them, respecting them. Oh, you know what? It took me 30 years to figure out this whole minimalism thing. He's probably not going to figure out in 30 minutes. And then eventually, appreciating. You can appreciate where he is, warts and all, without needing to change him. And if you can do that, you'll finally understand him, and you won't need to change him. Bravo.
9: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you. You know, Liz, I had to go and
1: help my grandmother uh, pack up a lot of her stuff and get rid of her stuff. And it's funny, because she's like, oh, you're the perfect person to come and do this. And I'm actually not the perfect person because I'm very blunt. (laughs) And I really tried to help her make a decision. And I found myself, anytime I was starting to get frustrated um, and wanted to kind of like, you know, just not be passive aggressive, but just let that frustration out, to project that, I had to really, uh, really check what my context was. And what I would do is I would, you know, before I would let the anger out, I'd say, you know what, this is my grandmother, I love her. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be alive. She has been through a lot, she grew up in Germany during World War II, I mean, really, um, she, she has a, uh, a hoarder mindset because of like her upbringing. So really trying to um, understand her and get, changing that context from anger to compassion, that really helped me get through a lot of days. And this is, like Josh said, just a temporary situation for you. So I would really work on that context, and that will help you get to the point where you can even yeah,
0: appreciate, appreciate the man you're living with. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Liz. We love you. Howdy. What's hey, your name, brother? I'm Alex. Nice hey, to meet Alex. you guys. Thanks yeah, so much for everything. Certainly. I'm sorry if you might have to bend down a little bit, or maybe if the mic's adjustable. I'm not really sure. No worries. Um, What's I am, on your mind? I'm a senior in college, so I think continuing along a lot of the trends, a lot of uncertainty um, upcoming. And it feels like I'm constantly like, bouncing around between school, home, um, starting a new job in June. Um, so Question, I guess keeping it intentionally broad, Um, any advice around starting a new career, but also trying to remain passionate and um, I think aggressive and and like have a good fulfilling career and like devote a lot of time to it while I'm young, but also like doing that in a sustainable way. Mm. Seth? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I really want to answer I mean, this, but I, they're going to have a much better answer. I had no idea answer. you'd be here, but obviously I think... Uh, I had no
3: idea you were going to be here, so we're even.
0: <laughs> you oh, guys come to cool place. Your name Alex, is that yeah, you Alex.
3: Um, first, congratulations for making it through the uh, organized educational industrial complex yeah, all know. the way to the end. Yeah. Um, this job you got, did you get it at the placement office? I did not. Good for you. Okay, so the word career... And the idea of a resume, these are artifacts of the industrial age. Because in the industrial age, the resume is a a written transcript that you have fit in and worked your way up a system that you are not in charge of. And for a long time, you stayed at the same company for 20, 30, 40 years. And it has been falling apart your whole life. And now it's a completely different thing. So instead of thinking of a career, and instead of worrying about life-work balance, it might be interesting to just think about the fact that there's just life. Mm. And life includes eating and sleeping and working and all those things, but you're not doing one or the other. When you're at work, you're still alive. And your vision going forward, this career, isn't up to who's gonna hire you next and who's going to pick you. Mm. It's up to you and what you will choose to create a value. And there are only two paths that I can think of. One is to say, you can pick anyone, and I'm anyone. right? In which case, you're, I fit in more than anybody else. Mm. Or the other path is, I'm Alex. And Alex adds value when he shows up. And if you want that value, here I am. And if you don't, somebody over there might want that value. And the more value you can create, the more people will want you to help them create that value. And TK has spoken about this so eloquently for so many years. About what does it mean to be the CEO of you, to show up and say, this isn't my career, but I have a life and I add value when I show up somewhere. Over to you.
2: You know, I would say, um, just to add to it, don't be afraid to go all in on where you are now. So many people hold themselves back for the dream opportunity, right? They say, well, right now I'm working at Chick fil A. Right now, I'm working at this side job, and I know that what I really want to do is something like this, and I'm not ready for that yet. So what I'll do is I'll kind of work this job you know, hard enough to not get in trouble, and then when the dream job comes up, I'm going to really hustle and show the world who I am. And the fastest way to get to where you want to be is taking yourself seriously in the places you are in right now. So you work at TGI Fridays, but you want to be a film producer, Show up to TGI Fridays like that's your first movie and like this job means everything because you never know, the person who's gonna get you to where you wanna be might be the person that you're serving, right? Second thing is recognize that all skills that you learn are transferable. A lot of people think about jobs just in terms of like, you know, working at a bank has absolutely nothing to do with the working in sales and working in sales has absolutely nothing to do with working in technology, but at an abstract level, every job you work are basic skills that you're gonna learn. You take the time to master them. You can be able to tell a story when you move on that says, hey, look, I've never worked in this industry, but I've worked with human beings. And here's how I made them better. Here's how I made them happier. Here's how I helped them make sense out of that experience. And I would love to do that for your company. So as you go into this next step, don't worry about the fact that you don't have answers about the next 10 years. Don't worry about the fact that you don't know this is what you want to do for the rest of your life. It's what's on the table right now. Go all in, work with pride, work with enthusiasm, and when, not if, you move on to the next thing, make sure you look back on that experience and be able to point to tangible skills you've acquired that's gonna help you create more freedom in whatever you do next. Thanks,
0: Alex. Thanks so much. Thanks, Alex. Howdy, what's your name?
10: Hi, Aurea. I'm so nervous.
0: Me too, <laughs> um, it's fine.
10: Uh, <laughs> um, first of all, I love you guys. You changed my life. And Thank you. So, as an immigrant woman, I'm from Mexico. I was born there. And I'm, I'm raised by a family, like, really poor family. And when I moved here, uh, I was the first member of my family who lived here. So, I was able to, you know... Um, help them, and also to have or to get this American dream, right? So sometimes I will feel kind of guilty if I kind of don't help them, like I have to work a lot, and sometimes I will like, no, like, but I have to work because I need to help them, right? I'm the only one can help them, mm-hmm. and and yeah, so that's the problem. Like, I, I sometimes I feel guilty, and my question is because you say. Uh, love people, do things. So how do you manage loving people but not stop loving yourself?
0: What a great question. I, um, one might posit that you can't love other people until you love yourself. And um, you talk about helping people. And and that's really admirable. Contributing beyond yourself in a meaningful way is really important. There are two types of help. When you feel like you have to help, like, oh, I, I feel obligated to help. It doesn't make you feel alive the same way as I get to help. I get to contribute beyond myself. Look at this amazing opportunity. It seems to me like you see this amazing opportunity. Even, you even use that word, the Ameri- or those words, the American dream. It's funny when we do tours in England or Canada or Australia or Brazil, they call it the American dream there, right? And nothing wrong with what the American dream set out to mean, but these days it means something different. It means perpetual growth and success. If I were to ask the people in this room to define a... To show me a picture of a successful person, you would all say the same thing. It's generally a guy with a suit on, and a really nice car, and a big house, and a trophy wife, and all of these things that uh, we accumulate to be successful. And once we get that, we'll have the American dream. And it's a weird thing. I was talking about this last night in D.C. The, it's almost as though we're trying to get rid of our desires in a way. Because, oh, I really want to buy that car. I want to buy that thing. I want to acquire. I want to accumulate. Because then I'll stop desiring it. But it's that very desire that makes you feel alive. And I can see in you right now from the way you're, you're asking this question, you do have a desire to contribute. And it is that desire that makes you feel it makes, you, it makes you. feel like you're the best version of yourself. I would, I would embrace that desire to contribute. See Seth standing up. He I, he he might have something very No, I'm only
3: standing up because minimalism includes no cushions. And so <laughs> I just I just needed a standing up break. That's all. Sorry. We got a cushion for Seth back there somewhere. <laughs> like these guys are youngsters, but I'm 60.
0: <laughs> Any insights? Okay. Are, you feeling, are you feeling guilty
2: when you do things for you? Is that what's going on?
0: I just
10: feel like sometimes it's too much, you know? And sometimes, like, I need to, what I say, like, like, I push my dreams away because I need to help, them, you know? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. <laughs> I, I think one, one helpful way to look at it is to understand that doing things for others is an extension of doing things for you right there are two aspects to giving there's the content and there's the context content refers to what we are giving i'm giving you my time i'm giving you my money i'm giving you my things context refers to the energy state that i'm giving from um i'm giving you an hour of my time as you talk to me but i'm falling asleep the whole time that's my context my context is i don't have any energy hey but i gave you an hour now if my context is compromised then the content that I'm giving you is also compromised. I can give you my time, but if I'm falling asleep on you the whole time, or I'm, I'm doing this the whole time, what I'm giving you isn't very valuable, now is it? And so sometimes when we want to help people, we say, well, I'm tired, uh, I'm grumpy, I'm resentful, I'm drained, I'm starting to hate myself, but you know what, I gotta give, I gotta give, I gotta give, and the impact of our giving is weak because we're not giving from our excess, We're giving from our essence and we're compromised and energetically that shines through. If you really love people and you really want to look out for them, don't just give them your stuff. Don't just give them your time, but give them the very best version of yourself. And that's a healthy you. So when you give those dollars, when you give those minutes, give it from a state of saying, hey, I'm bringing 100 percent of me today. I'm not going to give you this highly compromised version of my time and money. I'm going to give you all of me because I've taken care of me and now I can fully show up for you.
11: Hi.
0: Howdy. What's your name?
11: My name is Angela.
0: Nice to meet you. What's on your mind? Nice to
11: meet you, sir. I would say, um, I don't have a question. I only want to say thank you so much for, uh, my life and, uh, huge ways, you know, because I was uh, finding your video and YouTube almost six years ago. In the middle, I was human Christ. Um, and when I see your video, I uh, was connecting with myself, with, you know, because sometimes society wanna tell you the way like, you're supposed to live. And I don't contend with that way. And when I found your video and YouTube, this video changed my life for the rest of my life. And I wanna say tonight, I'm almost 40 now. Thank you so much, guy, for the work like you do it, and uh, uh, the all value like you put it outside of the world with that you know with that society told you the way you you we you're supposed to be, and you told the right way you like you like you supposed to be not that society told you or the American dream for tell you the way like you supposed to be happy. Uh, I, as soon as I see the video, I see my way like different, like, I love that. Um, I don't know what you say in English, like, I want that um, life uh, lifestyle because I was not happy with a lot of possession I was working many hours, I don't have a time to spend the time with my kids. And that day, my life changed because as soon as I realized how consuming, take all my money, all my time, I say tonight, thank you, guys, for the way you do. Okay? Thank you, thank you so much. Thank
0: you. Thank you. You know, I'd like to say something about that real quick. It took me a long time to figure out that their path was not my path. And what I mean by that, I was working in the corporate world, and um, at one point I, I managed 150 retail stores, which I know is really ironic with the whole minimalism <laughs> thing. But... Um, I really aspired to be like these guys, these C-level executives and and the senior vice president of this division until I started spending more time with them and I realized just how miserable they were. They weren't bad people, they weren't wrong, but I first told myself, well, I'll be different. I'll do it differently, but if I follow the same recipe, I'm gonna bake the same cake, right? And so the only way out of that was to actually well, figure out what the new recipe was. And I'm glad you you found our recipe and you're able to adjust for taste for yourself. Because my recipe won't work for you, it's about finding your own. Bravo. Oh, you're wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you howdy you? what's your name my name's autumn hey yeah. autumn what's on your mind
12: um so i was gonna buy you guys some trinkets from the souvenir shop but then i decided <laughs> against it
0: so
12: but um i have you oh you go sorry
0: closer.
12: there you go uh i wrote down my question because i'm very nervous um i minimize my stuff pretty well but now i'm feeling overconsumed with other things like uh too many books to read, too many podcasts to listen to. You guys have a shit ton of episodes, so like I can't even keep up with that. But um, so there's so much to learn. I wanna know how I can go about that without being uh, too overwhelmed and using too much time. Mm.
0: What are you overwhelmed with specifically? Like give me one example besides too many episodes of The Minimalist Podcast. So, <laughs>
12: With your podcast comes many references to books. Mm. So this Christmas, I got a lot of books uh-huh. that I have yet to open. Mm. I mean, uh-huh. I've started, I've started, but yeah. you know, so just, I feel like there's so much to learn, yes, yet so little time.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I call them aspirational purchases. Right. I used to own 2,000 books, right. a few of which I had read. I do read them. Uh, well, I think that's great, but I, what I did is I gave myself a deadline, and the ones I knew I wasn't going to read by the end of the year, I just got rid of. Mm-hmm. And um, Because if I'm not getting value from it, it doesn't mean someone else can't. By letting it go, it's actually a way to add value to, to someone else's life. With the digital clutter, like if you have a bunch of podcasts you're subscribed to, you, I'll tell you one thing that I did that was really helpful. It's not a prescription. I'm not telling you you should do this, but... I simply went through and unsubscribed from every podcast. And then I resubscribed to the ones that became top of mind. Like, oh, I really want to go resubscribe to Seth's podcast. It's called Akimbo, by the way. It's a wonderful podcast. You should check it out. Um, And there there are several others. But then there were several months went by, like, oh, yeah, I don't even miss that one I used to listen to every week. I started to feel obligated to listen to these things. And so completely wiping the slate clean. It's not about deprivation. I don't want you to deprive yourself. We're the minimalists, not the deprivationists. But like wiping the slate clean, you can bring back in the things that will truly add value and everything else will sort of stay by the wayside.
1: Mm, I love that. So, So you're overwhelmed, which means you feel like it's out of control. And like if you think about, you know, a car reference, like the wheels going and the you know uh, whatever you're running off the road what do you I mean you got to let off the gas right Right. and what Josh is kind of suggesting is is like just stopping and then kind of starting again but those boundaries that he's talking about that is what is what is going to help you feel like you're gaining more control of it but the one thing I'll say is you got to be careful about that FOMO like the fear of missing out you're you could read I could like snap my fingers and just if i could and you magically read all the books listen to all the podcasts you want to there's an infinite amount of other books and podcasts to listen to so there's always going to be something that you're missing out on and setting those boundaries at least will help you to uh focus on what what is most important to you You, because you can't listen to everything you can't read everything
3: that's the key like look how many people are here how many of them do you know Right? You should feel badly because you don't have enough time to meet all the extraordinary people that are around. <laughs> and if you, if you read the next 10 books, right? why? What is the purpose of the next book? If the purpose of the next book is to entertain you to pass the time, then spending time while you're reading it thinking about the books you're not reading undermines that. If the purpose of the book or the podcast is to help you get better at something so you can be generous, more skilled, more able to make a difference, then things start to filter out much more intelligently. Because you can now say, well, I could go visit my sick cousin in the hospital, or I could read this book. Which one will move me toward the change I am seeking to make in the world? And so decluttering the physical goods in your life doesn't do you any good if you're just going to replace them with all the intellectual property you haven't read yet or all the people you haven't met yet. This is a bigger question, which is what FOMO does, back to something that I said a little while ago, what FOMO does is it takes away your freedom. Mm. And by taking away your freedom, it takes away your responsibility for what you're gonna do next. Because you can just feel badly about what you're not doing next. And if you just keep reminding yourself of that, you can realize we live in the golden age of available intellectual property and humans to meet, most of which is available for free. But it doesn't exist to make you feel bad. It exists to help you make a difference. Mm. And just keep coming back to that, and then you can realize it's OK you don't know that person.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank
12: Speaking you. of books, um, I have one that I would like you guys to sign, if possible. Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah. You. Set it up here. We'll take care of it. Yeah. Howdy.
13: Hi, how are you? Good. Outstanding. What's your name? Carolina. It's good to meet you. You as well.
0: What's on your mind?
13: Um, so I, can you hear me okay? I'm a masked, which is not very minimalistic, but um, <laughs> I figured it was better to be maximally safe. Um, I, you know, I think the space that you've created, uniting geographies, backgrounds, ethnicities, socioeconomic status, is just so incredible, and I wanted to say thank you for that first and foremost. Thank you. you know, I feel like, oftentimes, minimalism is thought of as exclusive, but it's really so inclusive. And that's what I get the feeling of every time I listen to one of your podcasts or watch you on YouTube. So it's really fantastic. Um, Thanks. Since meeting you, I feel like I've applied minimalism to all aspects of my life, from decluttering my things to relationships to actions and even thoughts. And one place that I found it particularly hard to apply it to is the workplace. Um, I think we hear a lot, a lot of times like companies wanting to do um, more with less, but really they should be doing less <laughs> with more or at minimally less with less. And then they um, right-size
0: their employees right out the door, right? Right. Yeah, it's uh, these weird euphemisms, right? And I walked by a Gap. Of few, We were actually in New York City. I walked by a Gap clothing store and there was a t-shirt that said minimalism on it. <laughs> and um, yeah, I went and bought all the ones they had. No, I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm gonna let you keep going with your question here. But um, uh, what's what's fascinating to me is that um, we rely on these these corporations to um, well, they, they use these these sort of buzzwords to justify some what what one might call misbehaviors, right? And so. Um, If you're talking about, your question's about minimalism in the workplace, is that right?
13: I mean, I was going to expand upon it a little more and go as far as saying, how can you apply minimalism at work when others' priorities for you may be so maximal?
3: Mm. It's a great question. What what kind of job do you have?
13: I work in higher education and fundraising specifically.
3: So there's a novel, just to add one more thing that you're not going to be able to read in time, um, (laughs) called The Goal. It's not a very good novel, but it has a very big idea in it. It's a bi- it was the first best-selling business novel, if you can imagine such a thing. And it's about a factory foreman who's going to get fired because his factory is just completely out of control. There are parts everywhere. Everything is slow to get made. There are too many meetings. I don't know if this sounds like where you work, right? And take a look, because what he describes in this book is that, in fact, the single best way, whether it's a fundraising operation, a bureaucracy, or a car factory, the single best way to make things flow better is not maximal. It's measuring the right things and ignoring everything else. And the problem that a lot of people have at work is they don't have authority. And they said, if I just have authority, I could fix this. Well, he used to run 150 retail stores, and he didn't fix it because Authority is really hard to get, but responsibility is really easy to get. So if you figure out which little section of the world you can give away credit but take the blame by simplifying and measuring the right things, what you will discover is that your coworkers start coming over and asking you to do that for them too. Mm -hmm. Because forward motion will follow. So if you've got 100 people on your fundraising list, getting rid of 90 of them and spending a lot of time with 10 will help you raise more money than anybody else in the department. Mm. And that's been shown over and over and over again. And the same thing's true with your inbox, and the same thing's true with the number of meetings you go to, and everything else. Because you're putting yourself on the hook for a few things and just saying, I don't do those other things. Mm. And I think you'll be surprised that you don't get fired if you do that.
1: Yeah. No, that's great. It makes me think about when Josh first went to our boss when we were in the corporate world, and he started setting boundaries with our boss. He was, he, was, uh, he was at dinner, it was uh, Christmas Eve, um, his boss is calling him and calling him and calling him and finally Josh answers the phone, he's like, hey, what can I help you with? And he's like, where, where are your sales at right now? He's like, what are you talking about? It's Christmas Eve, it's 6.30 p.m., I'm at dinner. I have no idea where my retail stores are at right now, what their, you know, what their sales are. He's like, well, you're not close enough to your people, you should know, and he was like, I think that's an unreasonable expectation. Which was sacrilegious in our world to say anything like that. But because Josh was able to add so much value to that company, he had the ability to actually set those boundaries. I know it's really easy to just say yes, 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 yes. But it, you get to a point where you're extremely overwhelmed. And one of the things that, I mean, I have really worked hard at, and I know Josh has worked hard at, is just saying no. But when you say no, it's not just telling someone, like, nope, not going to help you. Get clear on what you're telling them, yes. Uh, What you're saying yes to Because if you can help them understand what you're saying yes to By telling them no uh, It makes it a lot easier for people to to receive that no
13: Thank you so much This moment right here just Changed my life Thank you
0: (laughs) Thank you
3: Thank you I was waiting for someone to just fix that I'm a singer actor So (laughs) I'm
14: just going to get to it Hi guys What's your name? I'm Katerina, but you can call me Kat. Hey, Cat. Hey, hey, nice to meet you. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so I am here with my husband. He's going to be really annoyed that I'm pointing him out. He's kind of shy. What's his,
3: what's his name? Um, Hello, Matias.
14: Husband. You can call him, well, Matias. Yeah. Hi, Matias. <laughs> you don't want to do the Latin way. Anyway. Did
1: you drag him out here?
14: Uh, no. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't think so. Yeah, he, oh. he loves you guys, too. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I found we you guys you when I was, like, 19 years old, and I was going through this huge, like, hippie rev- revolution. Like, I was doing the musical hair at the time, which, if you know anything about theater, you have to be naked on stage. There's a lot going on. Um, anyway, so...
0: <laughs> it sounds like um, a nightmare I have reoccurring.
14: <laughs> <laughs> it's totally liberating. Very minimalistic. Anyway... Um, So we just got married last year um, in April. Congratulations. Thank you. And as it it goes with newlyweds, you think about the future, you think about having kids, you think about the life you want to lead and the life you want to give to your kids. So a lot of the times we talk about holidays and we talk about traditions and we talk about what we want to start and, you know, give to our kids. And I realize the more and more I get into minimalism, the more I realize that all of these holidays are so, like, commercial and ridiculous and so filled with obligations and guilt and shame and, oh, do I have to do this? So, but then we'll talk about it and I'm like, oh, but we're not going to give our kids gifts one day? We're not going to? pretend there's a Santa Claus? We're not going to, you know, and that makes me kind of, my heart dies a little because I think about when I was a kid and I think about how much joy that brought me. So I guess my question is for people who are thinking about the future, it's going to be a while till we have kids, but um, when we do, what's the best way to keep that special feeling that you have, those, those fond memories as a kid that often comes with material things? How do we... Keep that in a way that's minimalistic and simplistic and has meaning. You know what I mean? Yeah.
9: Yeah. <laughs> I'll dive.
2: TK in. thoughts? I'll dive in. I'll dive <laughs> in. Yeah. So um, we should make a distinction between minimalism and legalism. Mm. Minimalism is when you get rid of the stuff that doesn't matter in order to fill those fresh spaces of possibility with the things that do matter. It's always a good thing. Legalism is when we set up a bunch of rules and we force ourselves to follow those rules independently of the consideration of any higher purpose. Rules are only meaningful because there's some sort of higher purpose that they serve. Whenever we start going by the book without thinking about our why, we become legalist. And it would be legalism to say, well, you know, just because Valentine's Day is commercialized and Christmas is commercialized and I'm a minimalist, I'm gonna sit this one out. Well, that's legalism. Because now we're just playing by rules and we're saying that now minimalism also has a set of sins that we can't commit. And even though we really want to celebrate Christmas, I'm a legalist and now I can't do it. Right. You don't want to think that way. You want to give yourself permission to enjoy things, even if the people who are different from you also enjoy them, too. Breakfast is still a good idea, even though people who aren't minimalists practice it, too. Right. Um, So I don't want to stop doing that just because, you know, other people do it. So the key to redeeming the holidays, first of all, remember that it's the other way around. The concept holiday comes from holy day. These are days that were designated to be sacred because they were meaningful to the people that termed them holy days. And so I would say create your own holiday by either taking the existing ones and imbuing them with your own meaning, and starting your own traditions, or designating days that aren't on the government calendar and saying, these are the days that are meaningful to me, just kind of like how we do with our birthday. All of that creativity that you bring to the stage, bring it to the way that you mark time.
3: Beautiful. One of my, one of my favorite audiobooks books uh, for our audio book reviewer here is a book called Shantaram. And in Shantaram, Carla says the following, which is something I wish I had said, so I just quote her all the time. (laughs) Happiness was invented by marketers to sell us something. Mm. And there didn't used to be happiness before. There was satisfaction, there was comfort, there was connection. So some specific tips. You could make Halloween the holiday where your kids decorate and come up with the coolest place for anyone in the neighborhood to come get candy from them. Mm. And you could make Christmas the holiday where they figure out where they are going to go to sing and give other people gifts. And you could make their birthday the most creative day of the year where they get to host. You get the idea. There's still just as much magic, if not more, but you didn't fall into the Shantaram trap of saying, if I get just the right LEGO kit, right? That is something, maybe I'm legalistic, but I think avoiding that is a really good idea.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Kat. You're not legalistic, so. Howdy. What's your name?
15: Hi. Um, I'm Kaya. Hi, um, Kaya. I'm 18 years old, and I came here by myself oh. from New Jersey. Um, oh wow. And I'm currently. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Welcome. currently on my uh, gap year between high school and university. Woo.
3: Very smart.
15: And I will be going to. um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Finally.
3: That's right. (laughs) No one expects the Spanish
0: Inquisition. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. So you're on your gap year right now. Yeah. Thanks for coming, uh, guy. That's awesome.
15: I'm gonna be going to a university in Europe uh, for three years. Um, and you guys actually inspired me to do that in kind of in an indirect way. Um, I started listening to you guys last November um, of 2020. And I was kind of in a really low point in life and just, like, happened to stumble upon your podcast on Spotify. I was like, okay, I'm just going to listen to it, whatever. And um, I ended up listening to, like, ten episodes in a row. And I started to adopt, you know, the minimalism, um, I guess, aesthetic, but um, I started living that way and almost like a week later, I got rid of 70% of my belongings and not because it was, not because I have to get rid of things to be a minimalist, but because I realized so many of my things were cluttering the space and i i as a person just like a clean space in general but it really helped and um within you know a few weeks my family was decluttering and like all my friends were decluttering and like i had spread the word through throughout my school and so it was kind of like a new idea to that that word minimalism um among my friends and family and you know now people across the country and in other countries, I've kind of just led by example, and that's because of you guys. And I just want to say thank you. Oh. Um,
1: thank thank you. you so much. Wow, it's amazing. I wish I had your insight at 18. Yeah. You're like 10 years ahead of us. <laughs>
15: um, and so I'm going... I definitely listen to a lot of your episodes on debt and stuff like that, and I showed them to my parents... Um, because they, they wanted to learn as well, but it was kind of like already too late because of all of the student loan debt, mortgages, et cetera. And um, I, that's when I started doing research into studying in Europe because um, to get out of that four-year degree and ending up you know, owing $80,000. Um, I, I committed to a school, um, but I would have graduated with $80,000 in debt mm. And um, so, yeah, I decided to go with a three-year European university and it's so much cheaper. But I guess my question is, to get to the point, uh, my question is how, do I, how can I bring minimalism with me all the way to Europe and apply it to, um, I guess, my, my major or my social um, group, just kind of in general. Like how can I transfer that? Um, idea and that love for minimalism
0: there I probably wouldn't jump up and call myself a minimalist right away it tends to turn people off Um, when Ryan and I named ourselves the minimalists uh, you found out real quickly who your friends are right Um, and so as Ryan was talking about during his talk like sometimes that that word minimalism seems too austere or, or radical there are other things that you can sort of soften the discussion, you know, intentionalism is one that comes up quite a bit with us. Because really that's what we're talking about, the intentional use of our resources. For you, it started with the stuff, you started letting go of those things that were getting in the way, but then you realize like, oh, I don't wanna take on a bunch of debt, that's also going to get in my way. Ryan rattled off a truckload of stats when he was talking, but they're staggering stats. How much money we spend, oh, how much money our future selves are going to have to spend to receive some momentary pleasure now. Those objects of our desire, we go into debt and we have to pay for it a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. There are people who are retiring on social security with student loan debt. That's not freedom. That means someone else has power over you. If you want freedom, it's on the same continuum as power. And so, if the, more, the more freedom you get, the less other people, other corporations, etc., have an influence on your life. And so, if I'm being intentional with my resources, what are they? I think there's five big ones. Uh, we use the acronym STEAM, skills, uh, uh, time, energy attention, and money. Money is the last one on there. It's not that it's not important, but it's not the most important resource in our lives. It's, but if we, if we use it poorly, you know, Ryan and I grew up really, really poor, and we started making really good money in our 20s, and it just amplified our really bad habits. And I, at one point, had six figures worth of debt, and I was drowning in a lifestyle I didn't enjoy. I wasn't intentional with the resources I had, because we weren't intentional growing up with the resources we had. And so if you can be intentional with your energy, with your time, with your attention, because here's the thing about attention, whatever you're doing in that moment is your actual priority. We talk about our priorities, like, oh yeah, my health's my priority, or my my relationship with my spouse is my priority, or building my business is my priority, but I'm scrolling TikTok. No, if you're scrolling TikTok right now, that is your priority. Nothing wrong with that, but let's admit, whatever you're doing in the moment, it's your priority. A few years ago, the United Nations listed their 163 priorities. If you have 163 priorities, that simply means you don't have a priority. Priority means the first thing. The United Nations said we have 163 the first things. (laughs) So whatever you're doing in the moment, that is your priority. And if you do it deliberately, that's how you bring minimalism into whatever you're doing. Thank you. Thanks.
16: Howdy. Hi, my name is Wheeler Castaneda, long time listener for Funcaller. Oh my God, it's (laughs) Wheeler. Uh, What's up, how you doing?
1: (laughs) I've known known him longer than I've known this guy. (laughs) That's true. Oh man. Oh, this is, this this
16: question. This question is a good one. <laughs> uh, no, um, it's something that you're familiar with, though, Ryan. Um, I grew up a Jehovah's Witness, right, like like you, um, and I left the faith, like you. And when I did, I found myself filling my life with things like partying and drugs, that led to a lot of different problems, a lot of issues like me yes keep going (laughs) like you um i think we've parted together a few times um and now that was in my 20s i'm older now i'm not going to name how old i am but i'm older now um it moved into things right the parties and, and 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 the the people died off and then things happened how do i because of that of that crisis of conscience i had that spiritual deficiency that i had right I needed to fill it with something else as I got older. So it was things. I bought a new phone. I looked at my phone, oh, this is so great. My phone, now I don't like it anymore. Give me, thing. give me another thing, give me another thing. And I was filling my life with stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff. And I guess my, my question is, it could help with a lot of people here too and would help me as well. How do you navigate that?
17: Mm-hmm.
16: What do you do to navigate that, to get to the root problem so that you can cure, because it is a disease, mm-hmm. You can cure that symptom, right? Yeah. What, what are some tips? How, how, did, how, did you, how did you navigate that?
1: Man, you know, when I think about when I left uh, being a Jehovah's Witness, you know, I had my, my values and everything was set for me. So I knew exactly what I needed to do to live a good life, to get the result that was promised that I would get. Not only that, but you have all the answers, too. You know why things happen, you know why they're happening now, and you know what's going to happen in the future. And when all that blows apart, it's very disorienting. Yes. So, yeah, it's easy to fall on things like drugs and alcohol. And um, I tried them all, I'll tell you. Uh, but they work only so long until you get to that point of where you're like, well, what's what's actually important? And that is why... I think minimalism really helped me and why it helped Josh is because the whole thing is about living deliberately. I mean, you know, it's disguised like talking about stuff, but that's just the surface of it. It really does get down to those deeper root uh, issues. And simplicity helped me get there because now, like when I, when I did the, the packing party, have you read about my packing party? No, okay, I'll tell you about it, no worries. So that's how I started my, my whole minimalist journey. I packed everything up like I was gonna move. Josh came over like we had this packing party and I was gonna unpack things as I needed it. So then after like uh, three weeks of this experiment, it was over and I'm looking at all of the things that I had not unpacked and was like eight, you like know, 80% of my stuff is still singing, sitting in those boxes. And I started asking myself like, why do I, I bought all these things to make me happy but they're not doing their job. Like what? What is it that I'm doing with my life? And Josh talked about priorities, and that's what I started to think about. I'm like, well, what are my priorities? And I would sit there and I would say, it's my health. It's my relationships. You got to have good relationships. Got to contribute. Got to grow. You know, you got to have that passion project you're working on. But I wasn't doing any of those things. I was accumulating things. So the the journey of, of of simplicity and minimalism helped me to get clear on um, what those priorities are, but more importantly, really helped me see where I was sitting with those. Anytime I feel any discontent, anytime I feel like, oh man, um, d- depressed or anxious or whatever it is, I have to look at those values and ask myself, like what needs attention right now? And I, and I guarantee, like if, if I'm feeling kind of off, I can look at just those five, uh, five values that I rattled off, health, relationships, uh, contribution, growing, uh, cultivating passion, I can look at those five things and ask myself like, okay, which of these like buckets is the emptiest right now? And then I can focus my attention on the right thing rather than trying to pacify myself with all the things that you just talked about. So dude, I, yeah, I, I know you, man, I know you got an awesome heart. So, uh, yeah, I would just recommend like, okay, so in our book and I'll give you a free copy Wheeler, cause I know you, man, <laughs> there's a, there's a values worksheet in there. Um, it is uh, it, it helps you get clear on what your values are. And I, that's the first step with any of this. And a lot of these questions, it starts with those values. What do I want uh, my career uh, to be? Do I want to go to college or not? I have all, you know, all the time in the world now. Now I don't know what to do with my time. A lot of these questions, it starts with getting clear on what those values are. Yeah.
16: And and you and you guys have always been like that, both of you guys. And I want to commend you on that, as just people yourselves. You guys are awesome people. I was talking to um, Anna, who's over there. Um, I'm not gonna. Uh, she can wave over there, right there. Um, about about you guys and how how wonderful you guys are. How always you were willing to help everybody out, growing up. Um, you know, we lived in the same house for a while, and yeah. you were always willing to, And with what I see you guys doing, that's amazing. Is that you're not bullshitting, man you have a plan of attack. You see the problem, and then you are intentional about solving that problem, and you've helped so many people. God bless you guys, you guys are awesome. Uh, Oh, I love you, man. man.
0: You stick around afterwards. (laughs) Hey, Seth, I'd like to talk to you. I want to expand on this a little bit more because it occurred to me that what Wheeler was talking about quite often are distractions. We distract ourselves with stuff. We distract ourselves with screen time, we distract ourselves with technology, we distract ourselves with toxic relationships or activities or drugs and alcohol, whatever it is. is, are distractions to cover up what we fear. And you started out by talking about fear, but can you maybe elaborate on our relationship between distractions and fear?
3: I have to stand because this is a Zig Ziglar riff, and he would only give it standing up. (laughs) And uh, that was a, a very generous, great, question and you'll understand why I'm telling this riff in a second. In the 1920s, a big industry in the United States was soda fountains. And you've heard of a soda jerk. That was a good job. And you would go to the soda fountain and you'd get an ice cream sundae or whatever. And when the depression hit, sales plummeted. And the biggest chain of soda fountains hired the greatest sales trainer of his generation, whose name was Wheeler. And Wheeler invented something and he taught it to the soda jerks. And he increased the profits of the soda fountain company enormously. And it's called the Wheeler Witch. And what the Wheeler Witch is, is you would come in and order an ice cream soda. And the soda jerk would say, one egg or two. Because in those days, you get an egg for two cents or two eggs for like a nickel, whatever. And it was a good source of protein in a time when there wasn't a lot of food around. And by saying one egg or two, almost everybody would say oh just one egg but before that no one had any eggs <laughs> and so we're in this trap because so many of the things that we are using to fill the static in our head have side effects right that we say do you want the iphone mini or the iphone plus right oh i'll be you know i'll save a little bit of money i'll get i'll just get the mini But once you make that choice, which gave you 20 minutes of pleasure, now you have the overhead for a year because it's gonna take up all your time and your money. And so the opportunity is when you have an itch to scratch with something that doesn't cost you but that pays you. Mm. So if every single time you feel the itch, you go for a run instead of going to the refrigerator, Mm. then what will happen is within a month, you will be more fit and you'll have more money which will give you more confidence, which will then let these other, this cycle go. So our friend who's going to Europe to go to school for three years, what I would say to them is, all right, well, 10 years from now, when you think back to how great that first year was, why was it great? Was it great because you signed up for all the courses everybody else was signing up for? Or maybe it was great because in the first week you found seven people who were as distracted and lonely as you, and you invited them all to a weekly... Uh, coffee that lasted the whole year. And it's those coffees you're going to remember 10 years from now, not the fact that you got into one class or you know, paid for this or paid for that. So the opportunity here is we're, we have the static, we have the itching because we're afraid of something. And we've been trained to fill it. We're humans, that's what humans do. OK, but pick a slightly different one and start veering away from the grooved habits that other people have profited from and that have cost you because of the overhead and say no to Wheeler. No eggs, no
0: eggs. I'm gonna go for a run instead. Mm -hmm. Um. Yes. We're beginning to run over on time and I know we're testing the limits of your bladders as well. So um, I should probably wrap up right now but instead of doing that, let's, uh, how about we do, and we'll try to be quick. We'll make this the quick lightning round here. We'll try to do three more questions. Y'all good with that? All right. I apologize, the rest of you in line. If you text us though, we will answer your question. Yes. And we love you. Thank you. Howdy, what's your name?
5: I'm Claire. And hey, Claire. I actually don't have a question. It's more of just a thank you. So if somebody else has a question and would no, like to ask very one. Happy
0: Beautiful, I, this gentleman's very happy. He's meant to be. <laughs>
5: But yeah, so I'm a designer and I actually found, about, found out about minimalism through design because Dieter Rams once said, um, good design is as little design as possible. Yes. And this is funny because as a kid I used to actually um, build a lot of things and I played this computer game called crazy machines and you had to use catapults and levers and gears and all these things to get the beach ball to hit the bell. And I realized, it's like well, if good design is as little design as possible, why can't I just have like one piece of wood and have the beach ball roll and just kind of call it a day? Um, it's a little bit more boring, but more efficient. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I used to build all these crazy projects in my room, and I was pretty messy. And I also had a learning disability called executive functioning. So in my own head, um, so the invisible, um, I was also quite messy. So I remember I used to spend my Sundays cleaning all the time. Mm-hmm. Like it was always like, you got to clean, you got to clean. And I figured as an adult, it'd be the same thing, like Sunday is like cleaning day. Uh, let's get the Clorox out and you know, get to it. But you guys really changed how I spend my Sundays. Um, I ended up paring down. I'm here with my boyfriend, Alex. We both became very minimal, and now I actually use my Sundays to train triathlons. I don't know if that's minimal. There's three disciplines. Um, but it started with running, and then it got to...
1: You have our permission.
5: <laughs>
1: Don't worry, we'll still give you the certificate at the end of the night.
5: <laughs> and it got to sprint triathlons, Olympic, half distance, and then a full distance Ironman. Oh, and I wow. started spending time on yeah. Sundays riding my bike for six hours. And in those six hours, I would start to have thoughts of gratitude. And then after I got off the bike, I'd jot those things down or call people and tell them these things like, Oh, you're so amazing at this, or I love this thing about you, or or whatever Um, and so it really has altered my Sundays and the last thing I'll say is that I actually became more aerodynamic on my bike, not because I bought things because you can buy aerodynamics as they say, rather I ended up just losing five pounds and did J curls so I could get more flexible, get into the triathlon (laughs) position and then I was in that position for all of Ironman Barcelona so I didn't even spend a cent and I was more aerodynamic so thank you for changing my Sundays. Bravo. Thank
1: you,
0: awesome work. Congrats. You're illustrating something. Uh, You're spending your Sundays differently. Other than instead of cleaning, you're doing something more meaningful. And it's really illustrating a minimal maximum of hours. The easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Howdy. What's your name?
17: My name is Letty.
0: Hey, Letty. What's on your mind?
17: Well, first of all, my brain is buzzing with every single neuron going off because I might be the only person in this room that never knew who none of you guys were until about two hours ago. And I thank it to my friend Beva up uh, there. Who thanks, Beva, for dragging around. out. <laughs> uh, fifth grade, we've been best friends. Um, that brought me here today. Um, so let me try. I am truly a hoarder. Um, I do. I have four storage units. I hide it from my mother. Um, I'm working right now in the most lucrative time period that I've ever had, thanks to COVID. I'm a nurse. Um, And I know what my triggers are. Um, I have a very fractured relationship with my son. And I also have a 10-year-old daughter. um, And also a very fractured relationship with her father, which that actually resolved itself in the last year. And I'm very grateful and liberated from that relationship. So I guess my question is, I know what I need to do It's just getting there. I have thought about a dumpster, Mm -hmm. Um, and um, the thought of just throwing everything away monetarily wise, I'm thinking, oh my god, I spent so much money, yada yada, on these things. But the most important question that I feel I need to try to get to root of is my children are my world. Mm. Um, My 10-year-old daughter is amazingly wonderful, but I've been living in this lifestyle for at least four years now. And i'm really concerned of what damage i might have done to her my son uses my whole lifestyle as a way of separating himself from me and putting blame on me but a lot of it is also he was he's one of my major triggers as well because he's just so depressed because he didn't follow the standard i went to college i went to high school yada yada you know he dreamed about being the NBA player, I hope you never, no, no, NFL player, hope he never listens to this, but anyway. You know, I'm like, bro, you're not that great, you know, but, <laughs> you know, he has a ton of spirit, but, you know, and I just wish I could find some clarity for him to, and I would love for him to um, listen to your um, podcast and so forth, because right now he's 23, and all he does is smoke pot and sleeps in day mm-hmm. uh, during the day, and my daughter is wonderful, but I'm afraid of what damage I might be causing her um, because of the life that so I've been living for the last four or five yeah. years.
1: Um, man, sounds like me at 23, first off. <laughs> uh, all that to say is that I pulled out of it eventually. <laughs> I'm hoping he does. Well, you know, I have a very interesting relationship uh, with my, my mom and my dad, for that matter. My dad doesn't even talk to me because... Um, as a Jehovah's Witness, he can't talk because I, I live with my uh, my wife, but we don't have the, like the marriage certificate. But we've been together for like nine years. Um, I'd be with her for the rest of my life, but because we don't have that certificate, he won't talk to me. Um, my mother, much different situation in in the sense that uh, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse in the home, and uh, it was it was a pretty crappy childhood. A uh, very uh, abusive stepfather and. Um, I had a lot of resentment, you know, for my mom towards that stuff. But what I'll say is that the best, I think the best thing that a parent can do for their kid is to live a meaningful life. So when I look at all the resentment I have for my mom, and I could sit here and, like, just, you know, get really upset about what happened, really, I just want my mom to be happy. And what really drives me crazy, and, and, and I don't know how I you know, how I kind of came across the, noticing this thing, but she was always making decisions that just made her life worse and worse and worse and worse, which in turn made my life worse. But now she has really done a lot of work to stop making those very terrible decisions. And her and I, our relationship, we are healing. So I, again, I think the best thing you could do for your son is you live a meaningful life. It's not about what you can do for them, it's about how how can you live a meaningful life for yourself, and that will transfer onto your children. And and maybe that starts with getting rid of the stuff.
17: So one more question. If I wanted to get my, if I wanted to try to get my son into listening to your, your, your way of thinking, your philosophy your theories, do you have one book or one um, podcast that you might recommend for him to hopefully get hooked on? Yeah,
0: so I wouldn't try to convince him. If he comes to you because he sees how compelling the changes you've made in your own life are, then you can show him what added value to your life. Maybe it's one of our books. Maybe it's a TED Talk we did. Maybe it's one of our films on Netflix. But first, he needs to see it in you. You can't show up with a DVD and say, hey, you need to watch this. Yeah. It's not going to help. No. Okay. But if you. if you start making those changes, he will come to
1: you and ask you, like, mom, what's going on? Yeah. So don't put it on you. Don't put it on
0: your son. Okay. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm. you. Howdy. Hi. What's your name?
18: My name is Gabby.
0: Hey, Gabby. What's on your mind?
18: Um, before I ask this question, I just want to give a shout out to TK Coleman. Um, every single podcast I've listened to with, you, to with you on it, I've learned immensely. And I think you're a really awesome dude. So thank they you. They love you,
16: TK. Just as much Amen. as we love
1: you.
18: And I (laughs) just want to start with that. Um, And I lead with that because I'm a new teacher. Uh, It's my second year teaching in the public school system. And uh, thank you. (laughs) Um, And I'm noticing that my students are going through a lot of turbulence with the pandemic. And I don't even know what they're they were going through. Before At the start of the pandemic, because I was living in Korea. So I came home in the middle of the pandemic, started teaching here, and it's just a lot of chaos for them. Um, And it's also exposing the flaws we have in the public school system. So I would love some wisdom from you, Mm -hmm. uh, if you have any, how I could best support my students uh, during this time with the resources I have.
3: Seth, thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) What, What grade do you teach?
18: I teach middle school.
3: My, uh, my cousin is a principal at a school in New York City. Oh, good And uh, I've spent some time in her school. It's heroic work you are doing, and you don't get nearly enough credit. Thank you. Uh, you know, one of the things that Brooke taught me is your biggest job is to create an environment where kids can grow into who they're going to grow into safely. That you're not going to inspire them to be brain surgeons. They're going to inspire themselves. And so like the last time I spoke at her school, every single person in the auditorium, there were 700 of them, talked to each other the whole time. I was like, what? Wait, what? I'm not going, right? Because, But that's okay because they were safe and they were learning a thing. The second half of it, the opportunity is to earn enrollment, that not everyone will emotionally choose to learn what you are teaching right now. The opportunity is to say, the people who want to learn this are going to go up in status in my eyes, are going to have an opportunity. And the people who aren't, just sit in the back and look at your phone. And if you can get people to want to learn something, nothing's going to stop them. And if you can't get them to want to learn it, nothing's going to teach it to them. And so your real job is not to be the cruise director, but to just get people to want to get on the boat.
2: I guess I got to say something.
3: <laughs>
2: so, I'll, I'll say two things here. Um, number one, one, one of my favorite quotes is a Native American proverb that says, um, Tell me a fact and I will learn. Tell me a truth and I will know. But tell me a story and it will live in my heart forever. We can give our children abstract truths like be inspired, be courageous, but they won't resonate with an abstract truth. We have to give them stories of people who look like them that embodied courage, that embodied inspiration, so they can say, Ah, I know how it looks like when I live it out in my life, in the circumstances and conditions that define my life. So first thing I'd say is give your children the gift of stories that embody the virtues that you want to cultivate in them. The second thing I would say is don't waste any time trying to make them more curious. Find out how they already are curious and hold yourself accountable to taking everything that you want to teach and showing how it's relevant to the things that they're already interested in. Because the great secret of children is that not only are they already curious, but they're so curious that it is annoying. Their curiosity their curiosity is much more like energetic than our ability to sustain it, right? It's there and it's alive. We just gotta find out how to take what we're asking them to learn and say, don't do away with your curiosities to focus on me. I'm gonna do the hard work because I'm the teacher and I'm gonna show you how what I want you to know relates to your curiosities. And if I can't do that, I'm gonna acknowledge that this clearly must not be that important. Thank you, to. Thank you. All
6: right, we've waited all night for this. Howdy. Make some noise, New York. So uh, my name's Alex also. Um, In fact, the other Alex is my roommate, so you can call me Alex, too. Uh, But my question is, uh, so I'm also a senior. um, Both Alex and I, I think, got exposed to uh, a lot of content like yours about living intentionally pretty early in our lives, um, so around 18 or even younger, Um, but uh, found ourselves at college. uh, And um, I guess that decision was made maybe before we were exposed to uh, choosing so intentionally, um, but so my question is really, as we you know we have this new perspective uh, in a sense to reconcile. Um, how do you think about growing at the same time in these two directions almost? Uh, Seth specifically, I know you know you're. We we subscribe to the idea that you can pretty much learn anything uh, you know on YouTube online. Um, and so, you know, part of me and, and also him wants to just go full throttle towards that, um, while part of us is in is in school. And so, uh, oftentimes our capacity is also, uh, you know, completely at zero uh, and in the negative. So, how would you, I guess, you know, approach it? If taking you specifically where you are now, back and putting you in a situation like college, how would you? Uh, yeah, how would you navigate that?
3: Here we are in a moment in time when so many of us are bereft at culture, politics, at health, right? And we're also some of the most privileged, richest humans who ever lived with access to more technology than anyone could have imagined 40 years ago, and in an environment where our safety net is bigger than in most places. And it's very easy to get situational and say, well, but." I have a hangover today or I'm overwhelmed this week or I have so much going on that we don't imagine what we would have traded for this moment if we had lived in 1,800 or 1,600 or 10,000 miles from here. And the opportunity, particularly in the next, what month is it, January, in the next six months before you have a day job, for you to organize things, lead things, connect things, learn things, create things, off the charts, just spectacularly large. And you're allowed to let yourself off the hook and say, no, all I'm going to do today is static. But you're not allowed to do that for a week, and you're not allowed to do that for a month, because you will have wasted this extraordinary opportunity. And if you don't already understand statistics, go learn statistics as fast as you can. If you don't already understand game theory, go learn game theory as fast as you can. Symbolic logic, these are things you need to know right away. But even beyond that, if you haven't organized a fast-moving alumni group of 20 people, right in this moment when you can get together by just walking down the hall, when are you going to do it if you don't do it tonight, right? And I was super lucky because when I went to college, I got the joke. And so I only had one notebook for all my classes. I, my goal was to get a C plus. But I also started with, with somebody else, one of the largest student-run businesses in the country. And I had 400 temporary employees working on this thing and this thing. And we had a snack bar and this. Because what could happen? What, the worst that will happen is no one will come to the coffee shop. Okay, fine. And I learned these countless lessons in that moment. Because I realized what a magical gift the world had given me. And yes, there's way too much injustice. And there is way too little respect. And too many people aren't given the benefit of the doubt. I get all of that. And then what are we gonna do with it? And what we're gonna do with it is make things better. And you're not gonna make things better when you're 30, and one of the things TK loves to talk about, which I've learned so much from, is make things better today, just a little bit, and then you can make things even better tomorrow. And work hard now, because the dividends will pay off for a long time to come. Yeah. Thank you.
2: just because when you're in New York, I'll I'll add this. There was a man many years ago who is my biggest hero besides my own father who came from Barbados to New York and he worked as a busboy. Wasn't very literate, wasn't very articulate, but while he made a few dollars an hour as a busboy, he learned from someone who would come into the restaurant often how to begin practice reading and he would use newspapers to try to read. One day he said, man, I'm tired of this busboy money. I gotta make some real dollars. I'm gonna find a different job. And he looked in the classifieds and he saw there was some theater in New York and it said, actors wanted. And he said, that doesn't sound too hard. I'm gonna go try that out. He went to the theater. It was a famous African-American theater. The director was a towering figure. And he asked that young man, have you done any acting before? And he said, "Uh, oh yes, I've done lots. And being from Barbados, he didn't know a good lie to make up. So when the director said, where have you acted? He named the only place he could think of. And he says, oh, Florida, not realizing that that's not a place known for theater. The director looked at him kind of funny and said, all right, come on. And he gave him a script and he said, all right, read. And he looked at it and he said, "Uh, you walk out the door now. The director snatched the script from his hand and said, don't waste my time. Don't waste your time. Get out of this theater. Why don't you go be a busboy or something? And that guy said, how did he know? Of all the ways he could have insulted me, how did he know to use that? Surely something higher must have been speaking to them. How did he know I was a busboy? By the time he walked two blocks home, he made up his mind. I am going to be an actor. If for no other reason I need to show this world, that there's more to Sidney Poitier than being a busboy. He started listening to radio shows, he started learning how to talk, and he went back and he got booked as an understudy, and when he finally came out on the stage, He botched his first line and said the third line when he was supposed to say the first one, the fifth one when he was supposed to say the third one. He did a terrible job and the next day he read the reviews and all the reviewer could talk about was, who was this brilliant young man that brought such a comedic sense of timing to the stage? He needs more work. Several plays and movies later, he went on to become the first African-American man to win Best Leading Actor Academy Award. And not only that, but he gave so many other people the image of a black person at a time where we were not received in these kinds of places. The image of a man who could speak with conviction and confidence. He was the man that paved the way for the Morgan Freemans, the Denzel Washingtons, the Loris Fishburns. And when I read his book, Measure of a Man, one of the quotes in there that resonates with me and I give it as a gift to you was, I am who I choose to be. Sidney Poitier died today. And I say that story in his honor. And I give that gift to you because we are not here in this world to find our place. We're here to create it. Go create your place.
16: Yeah.
0: Wow. I see one more person snuck up to the microphone.
19: um, What's your name? No comment. I can't possibly proceed that. Um, My name's Elena. And thank you so much for taking my question because I realized I did something very obnoxious by continuing to stand up. But I really wanted to be able to ask my question just because um, I came upon you guys a while ago and um, I, my life was full of physical clutter and I moved into different forms of clutter, but I imparted you to my mom who's here with me and brought me here today. And I um, was so excited to see you here, Seth, because I follow you on LinkedIn and every single day, it's really true, like gold. So much. Um, and I guess that's really my, my, I have like, I'm gonna be quick, but my question is, I've always been a writer all my life, um, and a creative person, and um, I have a job at a startup, and I love it, and I love my job, and there's that other part of me that's, there's creative, but then there's this other part of me that like always wants to move things and organize things and create something and is very, um, I guess, um, entrepreneurial is, I guess the word that I'm thinking of when I'm hungry. Um, But basically, how do I make time in my life when I'm constantly doing things to move the needle with my job, especially at a startup when there's there's always more to do? How do you carve out that time to be creative and authentic and connect and write um, and then I guess the second part of the question is, how do you remember how to kind of love people when you are um, so focused on your life and your progress? How do you, I, I've been feeling really disconnected from people these days, and it's led to a form of social anxiety that's pretty bad. And um, I'm an extrovert of some kind, so it, uh, it seems very dissonant um, to feel so disconnected from people. So I guess it's about the creativity and carving out that space and then figuring out like why I'm not able to really feel connected to my fellow humans.
3: <laughs> this is such a generous question. And thank you for caring enough about yourself to be so honest with everybody here. Um, you just found a new form of clutter, right? And that clutter is protecting you from a whole bunch of things and social media and the ease of publishing is making me feel even worse. Because it's not like you can say, some editor in New York won't pick me, because you can pick yourself. And your question is 99% of the answer, right? Because once you understand that this is the thing that's causing you to feel this way, you can now start to decide if it's important enough to you to fix it. That if you didn't eat lunch yesterday, or breakfast by choice because you were so busy, you would have told seven people, I can't believe I'm so busy, I didn't eat lunch or breakfast. Every day we managed to eat lunch, breakfast, and dinner, right? Because we have to. Well, I have a blog post every day. It doesn't matter if I'm busy. Tomorrow's Saturday, there's going to be a blog post. And you, there are 10 people in your life who need to hear from you every day about something they did that mattered to you. That's just as important as eating lunch. So you can replace one set of clutter with another set of clutter without having to stay up to the middle of the night. Because this isn't about the fact that you don't have enough time. I mean, it's possible to run you know, a, t- a 10,000 person hospital in the same amount of time you do your job. This is just about what's important to you. Well, you just announced to us what's important to you. So go do that. And you don't need a narrative about it. You just simply need to be it. And once you start being it, you will discover that the pain from the narrative goes away. Because it's the narrative that's bothering you, not the life that you're living. So you have a lot to do and a lot to say, and we need you to say it. So get out of your own way.
0: I um am. I'm reminded of my favorite Seth Godin story. Friend of ours, Colin Wright. Do you know Colin off the top of your head? I think so, but I'm terrible he, with names. He saw you at a party once. This is maybe a decade ago. And he's like, I ran into Seth Godin at a party. We, we uh, started a publishing house together maybe was it, a decade ago. Before that, he, uh, he saw Seth at a party. And like, there were all these people went around. I'm like, oh, what did he say to you? He didn't say anything. He was just in the corner writing a blog post. <laughs> <laughs> you party animal, you. <laughs> okay. But that was his priority, right? And and that's really what it's about. What is the first thing for you? And you've already identified it. Assess Seth said, the, the answer is in the question. You know what it is. Now you simply have to treat it as though it is your priority. Man, before we wrap up, let's... Uh, Let's thank this beautiful theater for having us here tonight. I want to thank Danny Unknown and Podcast Sean and the rest of our team for being here recording this and helping us out. We couldn't do it without you. TK, it's an honor to know you and call you a friend. I, uh, I can't believe we get to do these events with you, man, and uh, God, I hope, uh, hope we get to do many more. Ladies and gentlemen, T.K. Coleman. Now, backstage, Seth was telling us he hasn't done a live event in, I think, it's two years now, and I don't think he plans on doing any more live events. <laughs> so this is... Uh, this is a real treat to have him here tonight. Yeah, Seth, you're a huge inspiration. I'm so grateful we got to share the stage with you tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Seth go! Yes. Thank you. Thank, you, Thank everybody. you, Seth.
3: Go make a ruckus.
17: <laughs>
0: Ryan, I feel like we've tricked them into letting us do this over what a, what and over so nice. and over. Um... <laughs> I can't even express my gratitude there's one more person I want to thank tonight and that person's you I don't know where you've been I don't know where you are in your life right now I don't know where you're going from here but if you leave here tonight with just one message please let it be this love people and use things because the opposite never works thanks for being here New York thank you New York thank you